thinking like a hero maker means that I'm going to have to shift from thinking about my need to be the hero in the story to equipping other people to becoming the hero in the story. Thinking as we shift our minds as, as people, as God's creation, to becoming hero makers. That's our new series. We're in week two of that. Today we're talking about how can I think like a hero maker. In the weeks to come, we'll, we'll talk about how to, how to see, share, bless, and count like a hero maker. But for our purposes today, how do I think like a hero maker? And if I'm going to be a hero maker, I'm going to have to have this big shift in my life from wanting me to be the hero of everything to I'm going to equip other people to be the hero of their own lives. And more than that, to equip other people, the people that I talk to, the people that you look around this room and see, to equip others to be the heroes. God's story. We've got an assignment. I'll give you a challenge every week as we come together, but I want us to remember this passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 19 and 20. It's at the very end of the biography of Jesus' life written by Matthew. We often call it in church, call that the Great Commission. So what I want us to do, I meant to mention it last week, but hey, I forget some stuff. But we're going to start this week, and we're going to give us some practice. I want for us to commit to memory these three Bible verses. We're going to memorize it. We're going to work on it some together to help jumpstart us along the way. The translation you read from might be a little different from this one and the ESV, and that's okay. Memorize whichever one that you like. But we're going to work on memorizing this and saying it together. So let's read it together. I'll try to set the pace. Sometimes we read kind of fast. I'm going to read a little bit more slowly. But if we're going to make this shift to be hero makers, make other people the hero in God's story, then what better place to start right here in Matthew chapter 20, this great commission of the church. I have that open in my Bible here. I'll read from the screen. Let's read this aloud together. And Jesus came said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We'll do that a couple times together. Do that yourself. Save it as a screenshot on your phone and make it your wallpaper. You can put that picture of your kids or your grandkids on there later. It's not going anywhere. Save it and put it in places. Put it on your mirror. Put it in places. Repeat it together. And we're going to memorize it together. It's three verses. We've got five weeks. That's less than a verse a week if you're not good at math. But that, that's doable, something that we can do. We commit this to memory, not just an idea about what it says, but really remember what it says. As we think about this shift of making heroes of other people, of having other people rise up in the kingdom of God and making a difference in their lives and their families and their influence and everything that they do. Maybe you just need to get out a sheet of paper and write it out over and over again, not as a punishment, but because repetition helps us to remember and to write things down. We want to make heroes of other people. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. All right, now, since you're changing your, your wallpaper on your phone now, anyway, to this, these pictures here, 
And if you're not that great at math, you're able to get out your phone and pull out the calculator because I'm going to do some math. You're going to do some math. Well, you may not need it. It's not that complicated, but I'm going to do it. You just buy phones. All right, all right, think about this. Pick any whole number between 1 and 10. Keep yourself. Any whole number between 1 and 10. Now multiply that number by 9. I told you to do 12. Just think about it. All right, don't tell anybody. Multiply that number by 9. All right, now, if it's a two-digit number, add those two numbers together. For example, if you chose two, you multiply by nine, it's 18. 18, one plus eight is nine. So whatever number you have in your head, add those two numbers together. All right, now subtract five. Now think about that number that you have in your head. Now I want you to think about what letter of the alphabet corresponds to that number. A is one, B is two, C is three. J is really a letter, it's 10, stands for Jesus, not that's why it's a really good one. All right, now I want you to, you have that letter in your mind. Don't, I want you to think of a country that begins with that letter. Now spell it out. Spell it out in your head. You're going fast. This is hard. Some of y'all can practice this later, okay? <laughs> spell out that country in your head. Now think about the second letter of that country. Think and think of an animal. It starts with that. Okay, some of you are with us, some of us. Hold on, stay where you are if you're with me. Okay, we'll start over from the beginning, all right? Pick a number between, a whole number between 1 and 10, multiply by 9. Then, if it's a two digit number, add those two numbers together. Subtract 5. That number, think about what letter of the alphabet that corresponds to. Okay, now we're back to the rest of us, and then the rest of us, wherever we are in that, okay? So now, <laughs> You spell that country out, the second letter of that country, and think of an animal that starts with that letter. Now quickly think about what color that animal is. All right, I just can't be right. I know that there were no gray elephants in Denmark. <laughs> there's no way. There's no way. There just can't be. Now how that works is that you can do some math and how things work with factors and numbers and things that go together. And it didn't work for everybody because math is hard and sometimes other stuff doesn't work. But what we can do is that we can manipulate the minds of people to kind of think the same way. Now, I don't want you thinking like other people. I don't want you to think about somebody else. What I want us together to think about when it comes to our faith is to think about how we live our lives as hero makers. We're going to do that when we embody and when we live out Matthew chapter 28. Go, therefore, into all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching people to obey everything that I have commanded, and I am with you to the end of the age. I paraphrase that because this is week one. I don't have it memorized, memorized yet, but that's what it said. I don't want to think like other people. I don't want to trick people into having this same mindset together. But what I do want to do is share the love of Jesus with other people. And I want us thinking together like hero makers. And that's why today we're talking about how do I think like a hero maker. A hero maker is a person who shifts from being the hero to making other people the hero of God's unfolding story. Where it's not just about me, but it's about other people and the impact that you're going to have on the lives of other people. We should look to others before we look to our own needs and wants. And friends, this matters together because I can't do it by myself. A handful of people in one congregation 
can't do it ourselves, but it takes every Christian, every believer, every person who wants more people to know about Jesus doing the work and pulling your weight and doing your part and being there to step up when somebody else isn't doing so good spiritually. Maybe you're going to help them along the way. Maybe you're going to feel what they were doing because there's a season that they can't do it when we're all doing that work together. When we fulfill the one another's of Scripture, pray for one another, care for one another, take care of one another, be patient for one another, love one another, when we fulfill those, we're thinking about the kingdom, not thinking about right here. We're thinking about others, not just thinking about ourselves. And as we get this shift about being a hero maker, it's going to make a big difference in the world because I can't do it by myself. No one person, no group can do it by ourselves, but together collectively is the kingdom of God. Christians who represent Jesus and carry his name, carriers of light in a dark world, we will multiply the impact that Jesus has in our families, in our communities, on this church, on every church in the county, all over the the common practice for us, it's easy to fall into common, but Jesus didn't call us to live a common and ordinary life. He did call us to live a life that's going to make a difference. He also told us to kind of keep our mouth shut, keep our head down, and work hard. That's in the Bible, too. But he's calling for us to make a difference in the lives of other people, to share Jesus with others. The common practice that we can kind of fall into without a default is to work or lead until you've reached the limit of your time and your the common practice is to work until you've reached the limit of your time and your energy. But the hero-making practice I want for us to adopt is to dream so big that we strategically invest ourselves in other people to multiply the impact. Because God's math isn't about addition, it's about multiplication. That's why the church exploded in the book of Acts. That's why when the church is persecuted today in China and other places where they can't meet, the church thrives, the church grows, it exponentially gets bigger. That's why not that not that long ago, and in the majority of our lifetime, only 1% of people in the state of Hawaii even went to church or considered themselves to be Christian. Now maybe you write that off, hey, it's a lost cause, we're not going to make a difference, but maybe you're thinking about, I just want to move that needle from 1% to 5%. What a huge difference that would make. Now honestly, that's still an atrocious number. Wouldn't it be only 5% profess the name of Jesus? But imagine the magnitude of the impact just shifting from 1% to 5%. But today, the state of Hawaii has the highest number of professing Christians of any state in the country. Any state. The most people that go to church, and that difference has been made in about the course of 30 or 40 years. Because people thought about not just themselves, not just addition thinking, but multiplication thinking. How can I have this great big, huge impact, not for my name or anyone's church's name, but for the sake of the name that is above every name? That more people can come to know Jesus. We need to have you need those hero makers in your life. You're going to need those people that encourage you, that love you, that pray for you, that share God's word with you, that help you along the way. And you're going to need to turn around and invest in other people. And it happens simultaneously. You don't just wait until I've arrived. I'm a hero maker. I've got a cake. And I'm going to go out and do all these great big super things as a super.
But no, while you are investing and pouring into others, others are going to invest and to pour into you, and the difference is going to be exponentially larger than I ever would dream would be possible. I mentioned last week, I went to so far as to mention, we talked about superheroes and Batman. I went so far as to say that I've heard it said that Alfred Pennyworth, the butler, is Batman's Batman. He's the guy behind the scenes encouraging him, making sure everything's ready. We need those hero makers in our lives. And there are people that you know that need a hero maker for Jesus in their life. They need you to fulfill that role for them. <clears throat> After all, we know from some of the stories you know well that Luke Skywalker needed Obi-Wan Kenobi. Or Rocky Balboa needed Mickey Goldmill. Harry Potter needed Dumbledore. Katniss Everdeen needed Hamish Abernathy in the story. Frodo Baggins needed Gandalf. Those other people in the stories that maybe you're familiar with, that there was to help the hero, to help the person behind the scenes, to be the Alfred to the Batman, to help people, not making it about your name, but making it about the name of Jesus becoming greater. Now, before you think this is just some clever scheme or branding or some really kind of cutesy way to package the message of Jesus. That's rooted in, I could turn to hundreds of different stories that we have in the Bible, but I'm going to go back to the Old Testament uh, near the very beginning in the book of Exodus. Genesis, Exodus. It's easy to find, even if we have a, a stone tablet Bible like I have here in front of me. Exodus chapter 18, and I'm going to read that for us today. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn to it. Follow along on the passages behind here. But what happens in the book of Exodus is that Moses is born, and God's people are in slavery in Egypt, and God calls Moses to have Pharaoh let my people go, and he sends the ten plagues on the people of Egypt, and then Pharaoh finally lets them go, and the people wander, and then they're out, and across the Red Sea, and God protects them, when Pharaoh's armies are crashing down, and God's people cross the Red Sea, and it comes crashing down on Pharaoh, his armies, and God's people continue to be saved on the journey the promised land. That's the ballpark of where we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 18. Here we have Moses having an encounter with his father-in-law. Exodus 18, it reads this way. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel and his people, and now the Lord had brought, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of one of them was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And then the name of the other was Eleazar, for he said, My God, the God of my father, was my help, and he delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, for he had encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming here with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other about their welfare and went to the tent. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sin, all the hardships that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done in Israel, and in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Finally, verse 10, track 1. 
Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians and out of the hands of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with his people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel and bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day Moses sat to judge people. And the people stood around Moses from morning to evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this thing you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? Why all the people standing around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire about God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. I make them known the statutes of God and the laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What? You are doing is not good. You and all the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing you do is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, and I will give you advice. May God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them known the way in which they must walk and the things they must do. Moreover, Look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And let the people judge at all times every great matter they shall bring to you. But in any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all the people will go and rest in peace. This is a tricky part of advice a lot of times. Verse 24. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses was able, out of all the men he chose of all Israel, and made them heads over the people. Chiefs of thousands and hundreds of fifties and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses. But any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart. And he went away to his own country. Now we know that God is the one who inspired and called and led Moses and performed all these miracles. But it's that God spoke through Moses' father-in-law. What was his name? Jethro. He spoke through Jethro to Moses. He says, what you're doing is not good. It's not good for you, and it's not good for the people. You're going to wear yourself out. He told Moses that you need help. Yeah, Moses, you're still going to speak for God. You're going to interpret the laws. You're going to tell people how they should live and what they must not do in accordance to what God has told you. But you can't do it by yourself. Guys, can we pause here for just a minute? This is Moses, who got empowered to perform miracles, to lead thousands of hundreds of thousands of people out of Egypt, out of slavery where they've been for 400 years. Moses couldn't do it all by himself. God had Jethro speak to Moses and say, you need some help, not just for you, but for the people that you're helping to lead. So maybe 
Jethro is Moses' help. Encouraging him in this season to invest in other people so that the people can live as God wants them to. How do we spread God's word more effectively? How do we spread God's word to help more people in their lives every day? By enlisting other people to help us in our cause. Think about it. It is fall. It is almost time for the harvest. Now, whatever you plant, if you're waiting for the harvest, just and I lived in Illinois for about six years, and they just do corn, corn and soybeans, everything. When it's time for the harvest, when it's time for the harvest in your garden, when it's time to cut the hay and you put it up and put it in the bins, what do you do? Do you sit in your house and wait for it to come to you? Do you wait for it to jump in front of your tractor to get into the bale? Do you wait for it to jump into your wheelbarrow? Do you wait for it to come to the kitchen so you can clean it and shuck it and clean it yourself and put it in bags and can it and put it in the freezer? Is that what you do with the harvest? No. What do you do? You, you pick it. You go out to the fields. As the worker in the field, you spend time in the field so that you know when the harvest is right. So that you're among it, so that you know when it's time to pick. You work. Sometimes too often I feel like as the church and as Christians, and just for me, I'm waiting for people who don't know Jesus to come knock on my door. Or to interrupt my day. Or to, hey, they know we're here. Most people know that we meet for church on Sundays. They should just show up. They need to figure it out. When God calls for us to bring the word to That's what Moses did. Judging rightly before people and appointing other people to help him so that he could fulfill the role that God had for him. Not that he was just the only hero in the history of the people of Israel, but that he equipped other people to work alongside him, to be their co-laborers. What we do is that we want to multiply our efforts of working in the field so that we know when the harvest is ready. Well, it'd be really hard. We could look at the calendar and check the farmer's all that. We might be able to tell, but it's probably time to pick the harvest. But we know every season's a little different. The weather's different. You plant maybe at a different time slightly. But you've got to be in and among the field to know when the harvest is right. And Jesus told us that the, the harvest is plentiful work. Imagine what he might say now about how the population of the world, God's children, has grown exponentially from the first century, as has the church. However, we haven't grown at the same rate as the population. By and large. When we get to this idea of multiplication thinking, thinking like a hero maker, what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to need to make sure that I reproduce myself in the church, that I'm training somebody to fulfill the role that I'm doing right now. Some helpful questions to ask yourself is what would happen if I stopped doing what I'm doing right now for the kingdom of God? Would something get dropped? Would something be left undone? Would anybody know? What would happen to you when Joel says something obnoxious? You say, forget it, I'm going somewhere else, you can go in another church. Happens in churches all over the place, all the time. Not just with Joel's, but in what happens if you left? What happens if you die? What are you doing for the kingdom of God? Who's going to fill your shoes? Who's going to take your place? You need to be training somebody to do what you're doing right now. Unless you're not doing anything, don't train people to do that. We do that by default. We don't need any more of those. 
What we do is train somebody to work alongside with us. And so that when we cannot do those tasks any longer, that they can take over, that they can help, that the kingdom of God carries on. When it comes to the most important mission out there, to seek and to save that which is lost, to redeem it for God, for all of eternity, do we really want to get to heaven by the skin of our teeth? Or do you want God to use you to help lead a movement, to help have an enormous amount of people come together with him? Now, as you came in today, if you've got a bulletin, it should have been a napkin in that. And I want you, if you have a pen, get a pen out or a pencil, prick your finger, write with blood. How do you want to do it? That might be messy. Don't get it on the pew, all right? All right, I want you to get out that napkin. I have a couple extras if you don't have one. Does anybody need a napkin? Does anybody not? Get one. Everybody ready? Please fly all over the place. Okay. Right, get out that napkin and try to get something to write with. While we do that, let's practice Matthew chapter 28 again one more time. Yeah, can you do that for us? Just say this out loud together. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I get your napkins. I got two pens and a highlighter. Anybody need a pen? What I want you to do is write my name for a pen. Have more sense than that today. Not every day, but today. Just a minute. I want to think about. Don't write this on the napkin yet. Here's an example. Do you have goals for your life? Do you have things that you want to accomplish? Now, some of us are more goal driven than others, and more detail oriented than other people. But certainly, we all have them. Maybe you have goals for your marriage. Maybe you have goals for your kids. Maybe you have goals for your job. Maybe you have goals for your retirement. Maybe you have goals for your your house and what you want that to look like. Maybe you have goals for whatever it is. For your finances, maybe you want to get out of debt. Maybe you want to pay down your debt. Maybe you want to live within your means. You want to save more. You want to save more for retirement. You want to improve your relationship with your kids, your spouse, whatever that is. And when you have goals, you want to work towards them. It takes effort. It takes work. I've got a couple goals, but more than that, I've got several that I'm working on for myself right now. Jesse and I right now are doing our very best to kind of tighten up the way that we spend our money to work on paying off debt over the next two years. That's not all of our debt, because that math doesn't work. But but that's that's the consumer debt. That would be all of Jesse's student loans, or obviously just with the house and my student loans, which are the bigger ones. But hey, it's progress. Those are our goals. We work towards them. Over the last six weeks or so, I've been trying to exercise and be a little bit better at the house, because the number on the scale is a little higher than what I wanted to be. I'm trying to drop it back in the other direction, I'm trying to get closer to closer to 200, not closer to more than that, which is where it was. But man, it's slowly going because that's a better place for me. It's just a number on a scale. It's not indicative of value of work or anything else, but I feel better, function better. Those are some goals I'm working on. What goals do you have for yourself when it comes to your faith in Jesus? What goals do you have for yourself when it comes to what work we're doing together as the church? I want you to take just a few moments, and maybe you don't know yet, but if you can, I want you to write it down. And hold on to it. If not, write on this napkin, this little dream napkin we're going to have 
maybe it's words, maybe it's symbols, maybe it's graphically, maybe it's a picture, but think about some goal that you have for how you are going to impact the kingdom of God. Take just a moment, and if something comes to mind, write it down. And if it doesn't come to mind, you're not off the hook. You still need to do this. Put it on your own time. We'll call that homework. I think that's what we call it, right? I want you to think about what you wrote down in your back. Or I want you to think about what was going on in your head that you were too scared to write down in your napkin. And I want you to take that goal and multiply it by 100. Multiply it by 100. And then think, well, how in the world am I going to accomplish that? Your goal was big to begin with. Here's an example. Maybe you wrote, Maybe your goal was, I want to go to heaven when I die. You know, an admirable goal, maybe kind of short-sighted. And, and we all do want to go to heaven, but if that's our ultimate goal, we're, we're missing an awful lot. So let's say, for example, that was your goal. I want to go to heaven when I die. Well, if we multiply that by 100, what would that look like? That would look like, when I die, I want to take 100 people to heaven with me. Not in a weird, cultish kind of way. Okay? Not like that. Not like that. Calm down. But no, I want to impact a hundred other lives for Jesus so that when I die, and they die separately from natural causes, all right? Okay? That a hundred people are part of the kingdom of God. That's what I'm talking about by thinking like a hero maker and multiplying our vision really big. Here's what I wrote on my page. I can think about things ahead of time. It's one of the privileges of presenting things to people you can cheat when it comes like that. I wrote it twice. But I wrote CPCC times three. Cross Plains Christian Church times three. If I was artistic, I'd have drawn our little logo, but I'm not. So I didn't know your limits. That's a strength that people can have. No no things you aren't good at. I wrote CPCC times three. What that is, I would like for us, me, a goal for me, as I was just thinking about what would be my goal to try to accomplish for the kingdom of God, is I want to impact times three the impact that we as Cross Plains have on the world. Across the board, in every avenue, in everything that we're doing, multiply that times three. That's the goal that I wrote down. So we've got 70 that are coming on Sunday mornings for the most part. 70 times three would be what? 210. 210 coming on Sundays. And not just about people that are coming on Sundays, but it's about people that are serving. It's about people that are investing in others. It's about the more people that we have to broaden the base, as Ben Merrill said a few years ago when he came. Get more people exposed to the kingdom of God and the kingdom work that God calls for us to do. That means more people are, are, are living in safe and secure families. Where they feel loved and cared for. That they feel protected. That they know there's someone to love for them and pray for them and care for them and cook them a meal and mow their grass and paint their house and send them a card and call them when they're down. 
more people impact, but it also means that we can triple the amount of the emissions that we support deep in the support that we have. We can triple the impact that we have on the community around us. Now, we may need our calculators for this, but I wrote on my napkin, impact of cross planes times three. Well, what happens when I multiply that by 100? Well, that's 21,000 people that come to worship God every week. That's an enormous difference of an impact. Now, hear me clearly. There is not a value statement that I'm going to place based on the numbers that one church has versus another about how important they are in the kingdom of God. But what people in spaces and relationships do represent is how many people are going to spend eternity in the presence of God versus how many people are going to spend eternity in hell. And why God is calling for us, why we're talking about this as being hero makers, why we want to carry out this great commission of God, is that I don't want to have this tiny, selfish thinking of myself. I want to have this great, big, huge God-sized dream for my life. You know, the dream that you have for your faith is so small that you can accomplish it by yourself, it's too little. And it's inadequate. And it doesn't reflect how good and how great and how powerful and how big God is. And how much he wants for us to come. I want you to hold on to your napkin. If your napkin is blank, fix that. And maybe your dream isn't for how it impacts the church directly, but maybe it's how you impact other people personally for your faith in Jesus and how you're intentionally investing in other people to share with them the light of Jesus. Because the people, Christians, you and I, we are the church. What we do is the work of the church. So maybe your goal is your individual faith. Maybe it's our corporate body together and what we're accomplishing. But think about that, this little dream napkin, and how we can have this thinking of the human Extending and expanding our impact. Jesus thought about this all the time. About how does he multiply himself into others? He picked his twelve, invested in his three, sent them out to work. Those three and those twelve became seventy-two and one hundred and twenty and three thousand and five thousand, and he unleashed a revolutionary change that the world had never seen. That is how we think. One more time, for good measure. Matthew 28, and I will close together. And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority, heaven, and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father, we are so deeply indebted to you. God, this promise that we have from Jesus that you are with us until the very end. God, it encourages us. It gives us strength. It should give us fuel to equip the mission that you have put before us. God, may we dream big dreams because you are a big God. You are so much bigger and stronger and more powerful than us. Father, may we be forced to rely on you to accomplish what you are putting right before us. 
God, the most important step that anybody can take in their faith is the very next one. Well, it's great to dream down the road. We've got to know, God, what that next step is right in front of us. For those of us that are believers, God, show us that next step of obedience. God, how we can have this dream for our faith and how we're going to impact people for Jesus. And God, may you put people in our lives to encourage us to see that step and to take it. God, as Moses heard that next step he needed to take from Jethro, and then he listened and he did it. It's amazing what we do when we follow something. Father, I pray that you rise us up to be hero makers of others, thinking of others before we think of ourselves. And God, may the world, may our community, may everybody that we impact wonder, what in the world happened? God, Jesus happened. Your spirit filling this place happened. May we be changed. God, may we take 100 people to heaven with us because we're part of the kingdom of God. Or thousands. Or God, maybe we can move the needle just a little bit from the impact that we have. Maybe we aren't really acting like we should. 10% of the time, maybe we jump that up to 15. God, may we look at the exponential difference that that has done in our lives. Father, may your will be done in all things. It's the name of Jesus I pray. These big prayers. God, we ask big things, and you are an, an even bigger God. Jesus.